Good morning. We're in uh, our fourth week of our study through Nehemiah. And if you've missed any of the past weeks, I would encourage you to get the Orchard app on your phone. It will make all your wildest dreams come true. You can listen to the sermons wherever you are, over and over and over. I know my family gets to listen to it all the time. But you can also listen to it, um, look for the Orchard Life in your app store, or you can listen on iTunes and go back and see what we've been talking about because we've been talking about vision. And today, you can scroll with us to Nehemiah 2 on your phone or page 332. And while you do that, um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about vision. You see, vision is the ability to look beyond what is and visualize what could be. The ability to look beyond what is and visualize what could be. And for many of us, it's looking beyond what currently is to see what God would have for us. You know, whatever brought you here today, whatever circumstance that you find yourself, whether this is your first time in church in a long time or you've been going to this church for 50 years, did you know that God has a vision for you in your life? Did you know that he sees what could be when it comes to you? A vision for what your present would look like, a vision for your career, a vision for your marriage, and a vision for your kids, a vision for your purpose, and definitely a vision for your eternity. I mean, I love that God doesn't just see how we are, He sees who we could be and who we could become. And he also has a vision for the orchard. He has a vision for who we are as a people. He sees who we could become. And he has a vision for you in this place and what purpose you could rise up into. Vision changes things. Vision is powerful. Vision is important. Vision takes a life that is rudderless and routine and infuses it with purpose and direction. When you have vision, even the most meaningless things have meaning. But vision does not come without a cost. You see, anytime we're called to a purpose or a mission greater than ourselves, you gotta know what's gonna cost you, right? It's gonna involve two specific things. If God calls you or you step up to a vision greater than yourself, it's gonna cost you risk and sacrifice. If you feel like you're called to something, something big that God's calling you to, and you feel no risk, go back and ask him again. If you say that you're called to a big vision or a big purpose and there's no sacrifice, I would go back and ask him for a bigger purpose. You see, when God calls us out of our comfort zones, there's always risk and there's always sacrifice. And, and many of us here in this room, we know this intimately. As I look around, I don't just see your face, I see some of your stories. And I know what you're going through and what you've been through and the risk and sacrifice that's currently involved in your life. I mean, for many of us, we risked when we, we decided to get married or pursue children, or for some of you, you switched jobs or you moved here. Or how about when you started start your own business? We got some, some new people at the orchard. Their name is Eric and Amber Sanicone, Santa Nicone. And I had a great talk with them this week about their faith and about these elements of risk and sacrifice. Because Right now, they're in the lion's den of these things. You see, they moved from Texas where Eric's family has a successful restaurant and business. And he said they moved here on nothing but faith. And last month, they were handed the keys to their new restaurant that they're opening on their own. It's gonna be in Elgibel. It's, it's right where Sushi Agogo used to be. And Eric and Amber are pulling, pouring all their efforts and all their, their energy and hours when they're not working their other jobs into opening their restaurant, Thai House Company and Sushi. And anytime you, you're stepping out and pouring personal resources into any kind of venture like that, risk is your business partner. 
And, and you know, sacrifice is your silent investor. It just comes along with the package. And, and right now, Eric and Amber, they're so excited. They have high hopes. But we've got to be honest, they have no certainty. And for a lot of us here who have our own businesses and, or, or are doing other ventures in our life, we have super high hopes, don't we? And no certainty. We know what it's like to step into risk and to step into sacrifice. Some of us sit there at, the, at a table and sign a mountain of papers or we walk down an aisle or we stand at an altar or you, you raise your hand and volunteer as tribute. But we understand the risk and sacrifice involved. The question is, are we willing, are we willing to step up again and again whenever God calls us? It wasn't a, a one and done risk or sacrifice. And I just want to say this, if, if I can't remember the last time I took a risk for God or sacrificed for his purpose, then I would have to admit to myself, I'm probably not pursuing his purpose and vision for my life. If we can look at our lives and we see that I can't find where I've risked lately, I can't find where I've been sacrificing for God's vision, I might not be on that vision. And that's an important question to ask ourselves because risk and sacrifice are required elements of pursuing God. The ingredients reveal the recipe, risk and sacrifice, pursuing God. We see all this at play in this ancient book of, in the Old Testament we're studying called Nehemiah. And here in Nehemiah 2, um, we've already seen some amazing things happen. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. Remember, he would taste the food and the wine of the king of Persia. Very luxurious position. But vision came along and changed everything in Nehemiah's life. His, his heart was captured by something bigger than himself. Unfortunately for Nehemiah, even though he had this great vision, there were a million roadblocks between him and seeing it done. I mean, he's in, he's in a different country and he's in a different career that doesn't transfer. He can't put in for a transfer. He has all these roadblocks, all these reasons why it will never happen. But remember, where God calls, he equips and he provides a way and a timing. And also with Nehemiah, there, there was all this risk. The risk was too high. He could lose his life. And for sacrifice, he could be sacrificing everything just to talk about it with, with the king of Persia. But God provided a way. And soon we see Nehemiah, he goes from king's servant in the palace to king's emissary traveling to Jerusalem. He's got a letter of passage. He has guards with him and supplies and resources to complete the mission. And that's where we pick up with Nehemiah today. At the end of Nehemiah 2, after a long journey, he's in Jerusalem at ground zero of the rubble, of the, of the place of his homeland where everything is in rubble. It's been destroyed. And the people's lives are in rubble. Pick up with me in verse 11. I went to Jerusalem and after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I still had not told anyone what God put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Have you ever had God put something in your heart that was so big, so bold, that even speaking it out loud felt silly? Have you ever had something that big that you don't even want to tell your friend or your spouse? Because you're like, I think God wants me to do this. Nehemiah is there. He hasn't told anyone other than the king. He's traveling over there. He's looking around. And so he goes out and he inspects all the rubble of Jerusalem. He's out all night. He returns the next morning and he calls all the people to him, all the capital people, because he's about to do something terrifying. He's about to open his mouth and tell people what God has put in his heart. 
He's about, he's about to verbalize publicly what God has spoke to him privately. He's about to go public with a personal call. Have you ever had this moment where God's asked you to speak out something that's bigger than yourself and bigger than what you've been doing? Some audacious goal? Orchard, you've heard me discussing what I believe God is calling us here. But I want to say it once again today, clearly and confidently. You see, I believe that God's calling us to be a people who are unique, who when he asks us to move, when he asks us to step up or rise up, we are the people who say yes. You see, this book over here that we study is full of people. They weren't special. They weren't extraordinary. They said yes. They said yes when God called them. And God did extraordinary things in and through them. You see, I believe God desires a spiritual awakening here in this church and in these communities. Not a religious movement, not a movement that makes a church famous, but a redemptive movement, a movement that makes Jesus famous, and that's all. We're not here to get famous as a church or as people. We want Jesus to be known. And I believe that God wants to start something special right here with us at the orchard. I'll tell you, God doesn't want more judgment or more picketing or, or more of those things. He doesn't want people sitting in a, a religious ivory tower. He desires us to love authentically, to love him first and foremost, above all things. And he wants us to love people, people of all types, with no asterisks. And that's our, our vision. You'll see in our t-shirts and our signs, love God and love people. It's who we are. It's who he's called us to be. God desires us to love people in a real way, that they would feel it tangibly through our giving or compassion or justice or we stand with those who can't stand for themselves. God wants us to love people enough to open our mouths and speak about Jesus' offer of salvation. God desires us to, to be known as a church who doesn't just put love on their t-shirts but puts love into their actions. That's what he's looking for in this place. God wants us to rise up and be courageous, to speak our truth, to speak our faith and to share his love. A movement of redemption where, where people who are far from God come close and find salvation. Where people who have been injured by the church in the past find a home. Where people who are abused find healing. People who are addicted find freedom. Those of us in anxiety or depression find peace and joy. And where we all, no matter what background we come from, we find acceptance authentically as God's people. A place where, quote, sinners, when they come in here and they find us, they find imperfect people in process following a perfect Savior, not claiming to be perfect. You see, this won't be an awakening that makes us look like the same cookie-cutter kind of church-going person. You see, I know that we're all uniquely individual. Your creator made you the way he made you, with your gifts, with your talents, with your passions. He doesn't want you to look like me. He doesn't want you to look like your neighbor. Because you can bring to the kingdom, you can bring to the mission and vision what no one else can. So we're not gonna all look the same, talk the same. We're gonna be us and we're gonna follow him. We're gonna be a place where there's room for anyone and everyone, where our unity is so strong it doesn't matter what political aisle you sit on or across from. A place where we come together under one banner, under one name, and that's Jesus Christ. In order to, I believe, that if we would rise up and become these people who say yes, that God's gonna do something unique, not only in us, but through us. He wants to see our regions, our communities, our cul-de-sacs, our neighbors, our coworkers. He wants to see them redeemed. He wants to see them with peace and love and joy. And we are the vehicles that carry that to them. 
there's a growing core of people at this church who also believe this, that when they hear these things, they don't just shrug at the idea. They actually get those chill bumps on their own spirit. See, there's those of us who believe that God's gonna do miracles in this place, like he did in this book, that he's not done. Vision is before us, calling us to, to step up and to invest and to, to, to be leaders. Vision changes things and vision changes people, but vision needs to be made public. And Nehemiah has risked everything and sacrificed everything in his past to get to this moment. And here he is in front of all the people and he's about to tell all the capital city, all the people gather around. And here he goes. Then I gave my report to them. Remember, he just saw the whole, all the rubble. Hey, face it. We're in a bad way here. Jerusalem is a wreck. Its gates are burned up. Come, let's build the wall of Jerusalem and not live like this in this disgrace any longer. And then I went on to tell them how, how I had the support of God and the king was backing me up. Now the vision is out there. And the mission, the moment it's, it's out there, people have to decide. I mean, they literally could have just shrugged their shoulders and got in their cars and drove back home. But let's be honest. Just because one person has a vision from God doesn't mean we all have it, right? Just because one person believes it, no matter how strongly, we all, each of us individually and as a group, have to buy in and stand up. The people of Nehemiah's day, they had jobs and lives and kids and bills and families and concerns and then they had their own comfort zone. Like why bother stepping up and doing this? Nehemiah had to risk and sacrifice to, to, to step into his vision. But when you call people to join you, they have to weigh the same exact options and decision. The next verse reveals God's favor upon them. They replied in unison, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Now I'm reading through this in the original Hebrew in Nehemiah's own writing. It's, I love the way he puts it. He says this, the people rose up as one and said, let us rise up and build. Let's rise up. Rise up is a dangerous thing to do. Listen, if you decide to rise up for what God's calling you to, your life will never be the same. Rising up requires the laying down of some other things. Rising up means getting up and, and having action and audacity. The opposite is, is continuing to lie down in indifference. So they began this good work. The people of the community rose up together and put themselves in on God's purpose. And we've got to realize who was there. You know, these people were weavers and, and peasants and teachers and moms and dads and, and grandparents and children and rich and impoverished and, and orphans and blacksmiths, cobblers, waiters, every single job in between. It, it was a, as unique a mix right there in Nehemiah's time as we have right here in this room. He's calling a bunch of people to rise up and build and there's probably three masons in the whole, whole group. The rest of them had their own lives their own jobs, but they came together as one and put themselves to this good work. And I gotta say, if we're gonna see God's vision for this church and this region come to fruition, it's gonna require, Orchard, for us to rise up together. To rise up together. Each of you was gifted in unique ways. You were created by God to be you and you're a unique blend of passion for what you have passionate about and a unique blend of talent and gifting. What is it that you excel at? that if brought to here to, the, to God's purposes and vision, no one else could bring. What, what gifts did God put within you? What passions to see things change? 
For some of you, it'll mean rising up into something new, like, like a weaver who decides to be a mason for a little while. But for some of you, you'll bring the gifts that God has put in you to use directly. Now think about Nehemiah. We're about to find out in this story that God calls cupbearers to be general contractors. Nehemiah had no experience in this, no, no general contracting experience. He took a cup from one place and put it in another place. But sometimes God calls cupbearers to be general contractors and moms to be leaders and dads to serve and nurses to become worship leaders and, and laborers to mention youth and, and business leaders to be growth group leaders. He calls our kids and our youth to be celebrated and allow them to rise up and have leadership roles. See, some of us will step up in the places that we're most gifted and some of us will step up in a place we've never experienced before. In God's vision, a, a cupbearer becomes a general contractor. In God's vision here, in God's vision for his, his vision and mission around this area, what would God call you to? What could you become? Because Nehemiah would say, I'm just a cupbearer. But vision says, God's vision says, I see you as much more than that. So whatever your I was statement we talked about previously, there's more on the end of that. I was a cupbearer, but now I am a that's vision, when God calls us up and calls us out. In chapter three, this, this is a unique chapter in the, in the Bible. It's literally the notes of Nehemiah, the general contractor. And he goes through in chapter three and he just lists off names of people who are, who are working on this wall. And, and it's, it's a story of unity as they all come together because he uses the words working next to or working after or working beside. There's so many different people involved in this. Hundreds of people are named and even more hundreds of people aren't named, but there's a sense of unity as they all rose up and came together. So this morning, we're just gonna read a few snapshots. We're not gonna read the whole chapter. A few snapshots to get the idea. There's a lot of hard names in here, which is always fun as a preacher to, to, to wade through these, okay? There's no Bills or Susie's back here. Those are modern day saints, yes. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hasena. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and the bars in its place. Merimoth repaired the next section, and next to him, Meshulam, son of Barakiah, and the son of Meshezabel. They made repairs, and next to him, Zadok also made repairs, and the next section was repaired by the people of Tekoa, but their nobles would not stoop to do the work under their supervisors. They wouldn't put their shoulders into it. They wouldn't stoop down to get their shoulders into it. See, it's all about perspective. God asks people to rise up to a grand purpose. And some people, because of their perspective, think of that as a stoop down. You see, we have some people here in Nehemiah's time that were so busy building their own personal kingdom that the thought about building anybody else's kingdom, even God's, was below them. It'd be wise to ask ourselves, when it comes to God's work, and it may be God's work here at the church or a church, do you view that as a rise up or a stoop down? Because that says more about our view of ourselves and God than we'd like to admit. Is the vision of God a rise up or a stoop down from what we are doing all through the week? We keep reading. Then we have Shalom, the son of Halohesh ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. Now, this is all we hear about this man, Shalom, but I love this guy. Shalom rose up to accomplish the vision and didn't leave his children, his daughters, at home. He brought his kids with him, and they got to be a part of the movement of God. You see, teens and college kids are leaving the church in droves. The statistics are clear. Once they graduate, they're out of here. 
Shalom does something valuable. He leads and he serves with his kids. He's teaching them one of the most valuable lessons when it comes to God's mission. That kids matter. And you're never too young to make an impact. Oh, and by the way, the Holy Spirit that lives within a child is not a child Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit that resides in the adults. Children can make quite a change. His daughter, Shalom's daughter, has probably told the story of this work for decades. I'm sure their grandkids got so tired of every time they passed that section. That was right there where I made the wall with your great-grandfather. Yes, we know, we know. Parents, we need to ask ourselves something. Are our kids invested in God's mission? And even a harder question, I want to I handle carefully but with conviction. Are my kids, are my kids seeing me, me invested in God's mission? What kids don't need is for their parents to make them the center of their life. Kids don't need to be the center of their parents' life. When a parent's world and resources and schedule rotates around their children, it actually does the children a huge disservice. You see, when kids are the the center of their parents' life, what happens when they leave that household and go off to college or to work or have a boss who does not care to rotate around their life and a world that refuses to rotate around their life? We are seeing this played out in our culture right now. Listen, what the kids do not need is to be the center of their parents' life. What children need is to see their parents with God as the center of their life. That parents would have a purpose beyond their kids' happiness. And actually when we do that, it prepares and positions our children to be adults who will then pursue purpose on their own. As a parent... If I am a spiritual spectator, my kids are watching and they're learning to be spiritual spectators. No wonder the youth of this nation are leaving the church. They've learned to spectate for 18 years. They don't know how to participate. They don't feel ownership. They're not bought in. One of the wisest things we can do as parents is say yes to God's mission and rise up and lead and show them that the work of God is worthy and there's a place for everybody. There's a place for them. There's a place for our gifts. I was raised by a mom and dad who desired to please God more than they desired desired to please me as a kid. And at the time, I really didn't like that. I really wish they had desired to please me a little bit more. But I watched my mom and dad as they put God's calling and vision first in our family. I remember when my dad, he was a pastor at this church, we would go without paychecks so this church could continue and survive. And it might not have affected any of you here, but I just want to tell you, it firsthand affected me. It affected our Christmases, our our missed vacations, and our, our meals. But we knew that God had called us to something greater. The whole family knew it. My mom and dad put God first and I, I watched and I learned that I had a place to participate. As a teenager, I was a leader in the church. I, got to, I, I had roles for me and we want to be a church that opens this up for our students. It meant so much to me that even in my teens, I chose to pursue God's purpose for my life above my own because I had seen it in my mom and dad day after day. And I truly thank God that I had parents who would not let me be the center of their lives but chose instead to put God's vision first and foremost. 
You see, we want the orchard to be a place where children and youth see us adults all modeling for them what it means to, to rise up, to say that this is worth something, that, that, that God has power in this and he's gonna work through us to do something greater. That's one reason our children's ministry, our, our kids' mountain that's going on right now and some of you are in here enjoying an hour of no mommy, mommy, mommy because we have people up there with them and I just want to tell you something and remind you they're not babysitting your kids. We're not interested in babysitting. We're raising up the next generation of the church. They're not watching just videos. They're working on virtue. They're not just doing crafts. They're crafting God's purpose into the hearts of your children. What happens up there in that room is almost more valuable than what we do down here. And if you find yourself, and you don't have a place to serve, you don't know where to start, I would say the first place to start, if you can pass a background check, is to go talk to Stacy <laughs> and, and work with our children. If you want to find a place where you can make an impact today, go do that. We're going to rise up and invest in the future leaders of this place. And, uh, and I want to talk to the high schoolers and middle schoolers here for a second who have a, just a huge place in my heart. I want to tell you, you are valuable here. You are important here. We have room for you to find a place where you can be a leader. You can get back there on that computer and show us old people what it means to do this stuff. We, we want to create ways where you can be involved and step up and stand out and find that you have a place in God's community. We don't wait for you to turn 18 and then plug you in. You can have a place today. So students, come talk to us. You have a place as, as Paul said in 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the rest of these old people. <laughs> then they'll say that. It's in the Greek. Um, and how you, when all you say and what you do. I should remind you, students, no one here is looking down on you. You have a place here. Back to Nehemiah 3. Uziel, the son of Harhiah, was one of the goldsmiths. A goldsmith. And he repaired the next section. And Hananiah was a perfume maker. Who repaired the, next to that? They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Oftentimes we look for a place to lead where our gifts will be immediately applied. And, and I think that's a great way. If you find a place to serve and lead where your gifts and your passions can, can meet, do that. But here we have some examples of two people who, who were handed a hammer and weren't used to it. We have Uziel, he's used to, to working with a smelter and small little um, delicate things with his fingers. He's making gold, he's a goldsmith. And then you have, not to be outdone, we have Hananiah here. He's in way over his head. He's a perfume maker. I mean, his usual day consume, is consumed by mixing the right amount of sandalwood with a scotch of frankincense. And, and, but he trades in his dropper of musk for a hammer because God's vision required it and asked him to rise up. I'm sure he could have said, I have zero training and zero calluses. I can't do that. But when he heard the call, he rose up. And so for some of us, we say, listen, I can't do that. Where God calls, he equips. And when God calls us, we say yes. Maybe you're here and you're a marketing agent or accountant and you have zero, ex you have zero ministry experience, but God, for some reason, has put maybe youth on your heart to mentor students at the most volatile time of their life. I would encourage you to follow that and not let your, I've never, I have no experience, I've never done that before. Not let those excuses win out. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or dad or a teacher and, and kids are your fastball. You're with them all the time. And it would be, seem obvious that you would just go work with kids. But maybe 
Maybe God's calling you to be a part of the creative team or the men's ministry or the women's ministry. I don't know. There's so many variables. I can't go through all the examples here today. But I know this. Each of you is uniquely gifted, uniquely talented and passionate. And there's also places you'll see in your bulletin that are opportunities for you to step up. And so Orchard, you're all here. We're all, are you all in? Are you all in on what God's calling us to? My hope is that we are. My hope is that we're each all in. Because you see, there's some of us, when someone just starts talking about vision at certain times, it's just one person. And it can kind of seem empty at first. All we have is just this one thing. But when God asks us to rise up and more people join, we see God begin to weave something together. We see God start to build something through us. And what started is just one person, Nehemiah. He said, come and join me. And they said, let's rise up. Let's do this good work. And God begins to move these ways. And so Orchard, I'm going to say this. I'm going to ask you to prayerfully consider how you can rise up and be a leader in this place, where you can serve. There are lots of opportunities in your bulletin, and that's a good place to start. But more than that, what do you, what, what do you want to see happen in this place? My challenge is very clear, very simple. We want you to lead. We want you to serve. We want you to add what you bring to the mix of what God is weaving together here. Also, there's some guests in this place. There's some of you who have just started coming. Maybe you don't even know if you believe in God or Jesus yet, let alone if you want to start serving here. But I would say this, stick with us. There's no pressure on you. You just keep coming. Because what we're going to see here is you're going to see that God is infusing purpose in our lives. And so I would ask you, if you're, if you're kind of checking us out, do you have a place where you can be a part of a purpose bigger than yourself. Because here at the Orchard, we believe that what we do in life does actually echo into eternity. And so God is asking us to rise up. And what happens when we rise up is in the mix of what God does with us, something beautiful, something powerful begins to happen. God takes each, of, each one of us individually and creates a melody of love God and love people that can change this community. Amen? You know, as we go into communion, and as you come forward to the open communion, and maybe you hold the symbol of God's, of Jesus' body and his blood in your hands, I want you to sit down and, and think about those two things, risk and sacrifice. Because do you realize the risk and sacrifice it took Jesus to say yes? Complete sacrifice. All in on risk. Thank him for what he has done. And then ask him, ask him, where is it you want me to step up into your vision to risk and sacrifice what I am, what I have? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for, for the way you've made each of us. And I pray, Father, that you would, you would build us and weave us and mix us into something beautiful. I pray your Holy Spirit right now in this place would speak clearly and confidently and you would call us to rise up and put ourselves to the most important work that you have. In Jesus' name. And everyone said?